I just say, I'm sorry this happened. I wish I'd have got to know you, had met you. I hope I've done my best to make you proud. Dave Mann longs to know the father he never met, the father who bears the same name, the father who was sent from small town Earlville, Illinois to Vietnam, where he was killed in action only six weeks later. It's a journey the son has been on for years, gathering all he can to paint a living portrait of his dad. And during his journey, Dave Mann has learned that thousands of others have walked the same path. Can you recall when you first realized and you understood that your dad was killed in combat? I was probably, I don't know, probably second or third grade. Just because, you know, at that age you're starting to learn more about the world. I'm in school. I have a different last name than my brother. I have a different last name than my mom and dad. And uh, I talked to my mom. And she said, you were probably first or second grade when, you know, we, we might have started talking about why and, and, and how that came about. Do you recollect a conversation with your mom at that point? Not really. I don't. I mean, it's 48 years ago at this point. But I just knew that my dad was killed in a war and the, the details came about later. You know, my, my grandma my my dad's mom she always made sure i knew and she was proud of his service and uh, she hated that he had to go but she was proud of his service and and um you know she always talked to me about my dad um told me you know he was killed but uh, details of it you know that didn't come until later on when i was older yeah right because you're young and you're yeah. you can't conceive of this right right yeah, so and, and I don't remember I don't remember anybody asking me about it or you know like I says I grew up in a small town and everybody knew um, my my dad and another gentleman Michael Fultz was killed two weeks exactly two weeks before my dad so we had two killed from Earlville within two weeks of each other small town America seemed to bear an incredible burden during the Vietnam War yeah it's you know, in, in Mendota, where my dad grew up, I know there were a couple from Mendota that were killed, too, from Vietnam, so in Vietnam. Do you remember times long ago when you would maybe, maybe late at night, you're thinking about, what was my dad like? What, what, what made him tick? And what about me is similar to my dad? Yes, a lot uh, when I was younger. You, I used to just wonder because you have, you have no concept of, I never, I never heard his voice. You know, being born after he was killed, I always wondered what are, are some of my mannerisms the same as his mannerisms. You know, my grandma on my mom's side, walking up and down the street, she'd always say, you know, you want fries to go with that shake because it's the same. Yeah, I had the same walk, I guess. You're the same you, you walk, walk as your dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's just, he, I, there's so much I wondered about growing up. You know, what did he sound like? What did he like? Uh, you know, I knew he grew up on a farm. You knew he was tall. I knew he was tall. I, you six, know, six, six, seven. seven. Six, seven. And, you know, my, my grandma on that side, my grandpa on that side were tall. Uh, my uncle's six, eight. It's just, you know, I, I just wondered, I just wondered so much about the, his early life. 
and just what it had been like if if he had made it home. You know, I'm you know I say, oh, you got the, you got his eyes, you know, or you did this. Well, you look just like your dad, you know, and you know, and my grandma a lot, you know, but it's it's just something you you wonder about, and then you know you get to the point where you know when I was little, I always wondered, well, was it really him? Is he because you know about that time? Here comes all the POW movies as I'm going into high school and everything and platoon and all that. I mean, I got a, I went to see platoon when it came out and got up and walked out of it because you couldn't, you I couldn't, couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't because at that time I didn't have any idea what he did in Vietnam and I couldn't picture him doing the things that were in that movie, you know. So, or maybe I didn't want to picture it, um, you know, because I was always told he was a you know, great guy, do anything for you, caring, compassionate, and I just could not believe that that would have been him in Vietnam. Was your mom over the years really willing to tell you about him? If I asked, if I asked, um, and I was just, you know, I didn't want to upset her. But if I asked, she would tell me. It's I just didn't want. I figured she'd been through enough at that point. You're a wise young man. She was 20 years old. She was pregnant, six and a half months pregnant with me, and you get a knock on the door. She's the strongest woman I know, and it's just uh, I just didn't want to upset her. I didn't want her have to have her relive it. You know. And you have continued that that yeah. feeling all the way along yes. in these subsequent years. Yeah, and and, and since uh, you know, since we went to D.C., we took her to D.C. in 2019. We've talked more about it, and like I said, she's always been open about it. I, and more, you know, I'll ask her something, and she'll answer. So it's it's been good. When and where did you finally learn the circumstances of your father's death? And first of all, we, we should say he's in. Docto, right? And Docto is—it's an airfield. It the year before it had been subject to a lot of a major offensive by the North Vietnamese Army, right? And so the the big battle is 1967 is the one that always pops up first on Google, uh, with good reason. In 2019, I went to the reunion of the 299th Combat Engineers. That's the outfit your dad uh, was that's with? That's the outfit my dad was with. Uh, he was with the 15th Engineer Company uh, Light Equipment, and he was the company clerk. Went to the reunion. That was the 50th year of when they were under siege at Docto. There were 600 combat engineers left to defend this airbase. Uh, Docto is oh, 20 kilometers, I believe, from between right at the corner of Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. So plenty of action right there strategic point. yes very strategic and sat down with a gentleman that i talked to before at a previous reunion through email that was also a member of that company they were in the command bunker they were engineers so it was a bunker 20 foot under the ground heavily sandbagged there was a quick reaction force down there that night it was about 5 30 in the afternoon the rockets came from rocket ridge and a 122 millimeter rocket went right down the doorway over the blast wall. And uh, my dad was killed instantly. And the gentleman that I talked to about it said, you know, he did not suffer and that he knew him. He was a good soldier and and that he did his job well. How old were you when you heard this? (laughs) 
2019. I was 50 years old. 50 years old. 50 years old when okay. I finally heard it directly from somebody that was there. And the fact that he died instantly and did not suffer his words and explaining that to you, brought, was that helpful? Brought much comfort. I, I was asked to speak at the banquet that night, and I incorporated that into my speech because I knew my mom. My mom was there sitting, and I wanted to make sure she knew that because I don't know that she'd ever heard that before. That, as bad as it was, to know that he did not suffer brought great comfort, I think, to both of us. The scene in Docteau, to set this up, Vietnamization was starting then. The, the Arvins, the Vietnamese, South Vietnamese Army, was to take over this base, and your dad and everybody else is getting ready to leave. Correct. But the Arvins never showed. They never show up, so they were ordered to stay and hold the base. 600 combat engineers. Not regular army, not special forces. There was a special forces camp in Ben Het, which was down the road, which is what they were charged with keeping that road open, and they would pave it do mine sweeps on it every day, but they were to hold that base. So they had guard duty on top of their regular duties every night. Um, they had sappers trying to get in. Um, there's one story of them getting over the barbed wire and throwing satchel um, explosion, explosives into the tents and everything. Uh, so it was, it was a hot spot. It, it was hotly contested. But your dad's unit... Uh, he has orders, at least he writes home, to explain that, you know, we're leaving. Right. There, in the, one of those letters that I have here, he uh, says that they are to move out May 15th. So, and your dad? two weeks before my dad was killed. Uh, that, that's the way the letter reads, and uh, that did not happen. He was only there for six weeks. Six weeks, yes. So, not long enough to... You know, I would say make good friends or, you know, uh, 600 guys. You know, he might, he, he, I knew some of the guys in his own unit, but I mean, how do you get to know anybody? I, I guess quickly if, if you're trying to stay alive, I would assume. Right. You know, but if you're working 12 to 16 hours a day trying to keep that, that airfield open, that, that's the part that irritates me the most is that I just don't have any more information. I just, I mean, I, I've got these three letters here that, you know, he was scared, but he was there and he was going to do his job. Sure, he wanted to be home. He wanted to be home to see me born, but it didn't happen. You have a Life magazine article, and it captures 242 U.S. servicemen who died in one week in Vietnam. And I, I think that number was fairly average mm-hmm. for that time period. But for the first time, Life magazine puts pictures of each of the men who were killed, and your dad is among them. Right. And there was a, a stink about that. There was one quarter that said, thank you so much for showing faces of real people who are no longer with us. And the other half said, well, you've, bought, you've, you've been drinking the Kool-Aid and you're anti-war, right? Right. Uh, when you look at that today, what do you think about you look at the picture of your dad in the magazine, knowing now, looking back, what happened then. Just how it could have been avoided. That's the biggest. 
you know, and after, you know, reading this, this letter and saying they were going to move out, they were going to go to Cunan, uh, closer to the sea where it wasn't as wild. And you think what, what policy got made? What changed with Vietnamization? Why didn't they show up? Just little certain things have, have gone the other way. You know, who knows? He still may be here. Yeah. You know, you don't know. I mean, he still had, still had a long time to go, but that life magazine i've got probably five or six copies of that every time i go to a, a antique store or something i'll search for it just in case i've had my wife's uncle find some i've had them sent to me by uh, other friends so i've got one put away for each of my kids when you look at his face what are you thinking what i'm really thinking is that he didn't want to be there but he was doing what his country asked of him to do. And uh, he he looks a lot older than 20 in that picture. That That's what strikes me the most. You know, I remember how I was at 20 and didn't have a care in the world. I'm sure. You know, and uh, but him at 20 going to a foreign land, pregnant wife back home, a baby on the way, not knowing that if he would make it home. Uh, he just, he looks older i guess than 20 to me are you game to read a couple of the letters yeah okay. yeah now these are letters that your dad wrote to his dad yes so this first one is 17 april 1969 dear dad and pauline well i got out here at fort lewis yesterday i got my clothes that they give you but i, I already lost four pairs of shirts and pants and i don't know what the hell to do now I guess I will be leaving Sunday. I stayed overnight at Dwayne and Judy's house. It is beautiful. They took me up in the Space Needle in the World's Fair. It was really something to see. I am scared shitless, and I wish someone could get me out of here. But I am a man. Two ends. Two ends, and I will take it like a man. I sure miss you all. Well, it's just about time to go eat, so I will close for now. Love, David. The second letter is dated 25 April 1969. Dear Dad and Pauline, Well, I will just drop you a line or two just to let you know I am okay, but scared. I just got to my company yesterday. I am now in Docto. I'm with the combat engineers. They changed my MOS from a regular clerk typist to a company clerk, so that is better. No guard duty or KP. But I work 12 to 16 hours a day. So far, I have been in Alaska, Japan, and picked up a doll in Japan for Phyllis and a tiger tooth necklace that I got off the Vietnamese for 50 cents. You just would not have, you would not have any idea what this place is like. It is really pretty if you could just walk around and didn't have to any, anybody shooting at you. So far, I've been in three different parts of this country, Cameron Bay, Pleiku, and now Doc To. Our battalion moves out the 15th of next month for Cunan. That is right next to the sea instead of this wild country. We had to go on a 65-mile caravan to get to Docto. My date of when I get out got moved to the 18 April 1970 instead of 12 May 70. So I only got about 350 days left. I really don't know too much, but it's not really too damn safe here. But don't tell Phyllis because I told her I was real safe. Because I didn't want her to worry about me. I don't want anything to happen to our baby. We don't have a PX or a snack bar or a post office, 
Everything has to be shipped in and out by truck unless the VC leaves the airport alone and not blow it up. Then we can use the airfield. But like I said, don't tell Phyllis, please, and take care of her. Seeing you in about 350 days. So far, I got $260 saved, ready to come home, plus the Army owes me $180 back pay for Specialist 4. Love, David. Tell Phyllis I love her and give her a kiss for me. That's a that's a month before. A month before, yeah. This last one is dated 13 May 69. Two weeks before. Two weeks before. Dear Dad and Pauline, well, I am doing just fine, but I am damn scared. It's hot over here. You people would go crazy if you had this weather. Say, Dad, do you remember when we bailed hay out on the, on the farm and I always thought it was too hot to bale hay and wish I could have some of that cool air now? I sure wish I could come home. It's hell. The last time I ate dinner with you and Bill H., he said it was hell around there. He ought to have his sorry ass over here. I guess I told you I was the company clerk in a combat engineer company. It's beautiful country over here if you didn't have to worry about Charlie, which is V.C., I'm at Docto, which is north. I hope you all are fine. I got a letter from the drafting school in Morrison, Illinois, and I am going back to school when I get out. I will get out of the Army in the last part of January or the first part of February. But I have been accepted, and the old man got a letter from them too. The old man's folks live in Wheaton, Illinois, and my first sergeant is from Illinois, and he has kin that live in or around Mendota, believe it or not. Well, I will close for now. Love you, son. The old man is the company I would commander. Say he was company think. commander, I would think. Yeah. Okay. So those letters went to your grandfather. Correct. Some people who receive letters like that over time pitch them. They don't keep them anymore. No. But your family decided to keep them. Why is that? I would think it's. Just to keep his memory alive, to, to to remember what they had in him, and you know maybe they could hear his voice through those letters. Like I said, my my grandpa is a was a man of few words on that side, so he never really talked about it. And then, uh, it's I think it was his way of keeping his memory alive. You know, I found you know he had a Life magazine. There's a cover. There's a issue of uh, National Geographic. Uh, covering the dedication of the Vietnam Wall. So, you know, he he did keep things that I was not aware of, which is great. And your, your mom also has my mom. My mom has letters, yeah. And, and she kept them. She kept those too, yeah. I don't have them. Um, I've never asked her for them. I'm sure in time I will see them when the time is right. So, But again, she's been, over the years, most willing to answer your questions. Sure. She wants you to know your oh, father. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Her, my grandparents on both sides, they, you know, always anything I wanted to know. Which is a relief because if they had opted not to tell you, yeah, I mean, I mean you're, 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 I, you're on this amazing quest. But I know other sons and daughters that their families wouldn't talk at all. I mean, nothing. And, you know, some of the stories are very sad. I can't imagine not not knowing anything about your father. In the years that you've 
wanted to find answers to better understand who your father was, you've come across a group called Sons and Daughters in Touch. And early on, you didn't know about them, but you discovered their existence. Tell me about what they are. Uh, Sons and Daughters in Touch is are the children of the fathers killed in Vietnam. Uh, the goal of the organization is to find, unite, and support the kids. And this is not a small universe of people. It's no, a, it's no. A, there is a there. A school of thought is that there are twenty thousand sons and daughters of the men killed in Vietnam who are fathers. It's amazing to think of because you would think at some point in your life you would have run into somebody that was in the same situation as you. I went all through high school. I attended, sadly, multiple colleges and still never ran into anybody that had lost their father in Vietnam until I found the Sons and Daughters in Touch in 2017. How'd you find them? My wife had found out that they read the names of everyone on the wall every five years at the Vietnam Memorial. So in 2017, I signed up to read one name because I didn't know that I could get through 30 names. So I just sent, but I got assigned 30 names. So went to the reading of the names. Uh, I read, read my dad's name. I read the other names. The next day was Veterans Day 2017. And we had signed up for seating through the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund who had their own section. Not ever having attended, we had my, my we were staying in Maryland. So my wife was running late. We're trying to get to the train and all that. She's running late. We get to the wall where you walk down to the wall and there's hundreds, if not a couple thousand people. We have no idea where we're going. So one of the volunteers that works at the wall, they call them the yellow hats. They have their yellow caps on, yellow shirts. I walked up to a gentleman and I said, hey, can you tell me where this section of seats is at? And the first question he asked me struck me <laughs> really weird was, what's your connection to the wall? And I thought, well, that's, what kind of question is that? I'm just asking for where my seat is, you know? And I, I told him, I said, well, my father's on that wall. And he, he looked at me and he said, well, you need to go over there underneath that tree and get in that picture right now. I said, what are you talking about? I said, I don't know any of those people. And he said, those are your brothers and sisters. And I just kind of looked at him and, and my wife and I said, I don't, you know, I don't understand. And he said, those are all sons and daughters who lost their fathers in, in Vietnam. The guy's name's Wayne Jones. He volunteers at the wall still to this day. And we like to call that a little bit of wall magic. I mean, the, the odds of my wife running late, me just happened to run. I could have asked any one of those volunteers and not ever been asked that question of what my connection was to the wall. And that was the first thing Wayne asked me. And uh, so I went over and I got in that picture. And one of the ladies came up to me and said, would you like to help place the wreath at the wall when it's time to do that during the ceremony of the Veterans Day program? So at this point, I'm a little overwhelmed. I imagine. <laughs> and uh, I said, sure. So me and a, a lady from Massachusetts, Lynn, took our place in line and got the place, place the sons and daughters in touch wreath at, at the wall. And from there, it has been quite the uh trip it's been it's been a blessing to me because up until that point i'd never met anybody else that had lost their dad in vietnam to be with people that went through the same things you went through growing up not knowing your father 
even if you knew your father, but not being able to talk to anybody about it, a peer, you know, anybody your age, and, and to have that all come out over the last seven years, six years, it has been the most wonderful experience for me. I've welcomed my wife. We've had opportunities that we wouldn't ever otherwise have had. But to just to be able to talk and learn about other fathers. I mean, there are fathers still missing in action along with other men. You know, I've got wall brothers and sisters that are still waiting on information about their missing dad. Met people, met sons and daughters that are that were older that had their dad. They were eight. You know, they may have been 18 or 19 when their dad was killed. I've met other people like me who weren't even born or who were two months old and they have no memory. I, I wouldn't say you're commiser- commiserating. I would say you're just sharing your feelings without being judged because everybody understands. And not that anything's bad. You just never had anybody to talk to it about when you were growing up, anybody your own age. And it's just, it's just been wonderful for me. And I try to be as involved as I can be uh, doing things that, you know, that we're able to do. And I spent the past two Father's Days out there being able to lay roses at the wall. It's just been great to make connections with people from all over the country and even as close as Galesburg that I've met and that we can share and and talk about our dads together. Was this the first time that you were at the wall? No, I was at the wall for the very first time in 2009. Okay. And when you were there in 2009, you you did an etching, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me what that was like? I mean, your uh, dad, well, your dad's place, his name's placement on the wall is kind of high, but you're very a tall high. guy. Yeah, I can't reach, I can't do the etching without a ladder. Okay. Um, it, I was there with the Docto Defenders, the 299th uh, Battalion Engineers that have a reunion. I was there for the 40th anniversary of when they were under siege in 19, May to June of 1969. Uh, first time I'd met any of those guys. They welcomed uh, me and my oldest son went out there and uh, we went to the wall as a group and I was asking a volunteer for an etching and generally speaking, no, if, if you can't reach it, the volunteer is supposed to do it. And one of the gentlemen, Dave Swanson, told the volunteer, not so much asked her, told her, said he needs to get up on that ladder and, and do the etching himself. That's his father. So I got to go up there and do it. I got my son took pictures of me doing it. it for me, because it's, I'm named after my father, it's my name up there. I mean, it is literally David R. Mann. So that's what I see. That's what I rub my fingers over. It gets to me every time. And you know, I, I know people wonder, well, how can it get to you? You weren't even born. You didn't know him. But... I don't know what it is, but you just feel connected. I feel connected when I'm at the wall to him. And it, it, you know, I, I like to go there at night. It's quiet. It's peaceful. And I just, I don't know how to explain it. You just. Do you talk to him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What um, do you say? I just say, I, I, I'm sorry this happened. I wish I'd have got to know you, have met you. I hope I've done my best to make you proud. I said, you know, you have a beautiful daughter-in-law. You have three wonderful grandchildren. 
and I wish they got to know you. Um, it's just, it just brings me comfort being there. Mm-hmm. So, are your kids inquisitive about uh, your, their grandfather? Do you, well, they've watched you. They've watched you go through right. this long, arduous process of trying to learn about your father. And I imagine they're learning by watching you. Yeah. My two oldest, when we were out there uh, last year for the uh, reading of the names and the 40th dedication of the wall, 40th anniversary dedication, my wife surprised me. And the two oldest, my, my son Braden and daughter Riley, surprised me and showed up so they were there the morning when i read my dad's name to support me it's it's the same every time so i read i read the 30 names at 6 50 a.m on the the 10th of november and uh is is your dad's name in the middle of the 30 or is he uh toward the bottom toward the bottom but i always you know it's coming no you know but i always place it last okay chris m Pyle, Thomas J. Orr, Forrest L. Smith. The the outline of the Robert how they like you to do it is everybody on that wall is equal. That's the best thing about that wall. There are no rank. It doesn't matter. Air Force, Army, not. That is one of the the points that was made when when that design was approved. Everybody is equal. You know, you you could be reading a general's name and, and or, or like my dad's specialist for. And it, it, it doesn't matter. Now, when I did it the first time, I looked up all 30 guys uh, to see how they passed. Who they were. Who they were. That's right. Because I thought I owed them that much. You know, I, I've, I've done it twice now. And it's beautiful. It, it starts on the... The Monday of Veterans Day, and read. They read all week, all the way till midnight every night. Charlie Gray Lewis, James Richard Michael, Kenneth Frank Backus, William Kimball Batchelder, Clarence Taylor, Joseph L. Rhodes, and my father, David R. Mann. reading at 6.50 a.m. If it's clear out, the sun is coming up behind the Washington Monument. It's just... Powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So it's... And I hope my kids continue it when I'm gone. Are there things that you don't yet know and you want to know? I don't think so. I think... I know how he died. I know what caused his death. I know that it was quick. I know that he was, he didn't want to be there, but he was doing his job. He was doing what was asked, his, what his country asked him to do. And all I can do is be proud, proud of that. It's 54 years, you know, that he's been gone. I mean, the, the one when it really hit me was when I turned 21 thinking, all right, 
I've already outlived him by a year. You know, and just and, and not just him. I mean, think of all of the 19, 18-year-olds that were killed. That and who knows what we could have, what they could have been, had they come home. You know, somebody could have cured cancer. We don't know. It. You just don't know how many of that generation what was lost, and it's just sad. And it's, it's it's you know the same now with Iraq and Afghanistan. And the one thing I'll say about that is this generation's children, and this is the part that is the most aggravating thing because growing up, and this is I'm not going to speak for all of my wall brothers and sisters. But there were, there was nothing for us. It was not talked about. The war was not talked about. Not just, I'm seeing community-wide, you know. Um, there was nothing for us. I did not discover that I had college benefits until I was done with junior college and it transferred to Western Illinois. And I had always heard, you know, all I knew is that I got a stipend every month as I was growing up that was put away for college. I went to the local VA office in Macomb, and the guy said, yeah, you go to a state college, your tuition has been paid for, all of it. Never knew it. Nobody, nobody ever came to my mom and said, hey, by the way, when he gets older, you know. Almost as cold and less informative as the death announcement, the yes, telegram that yes, comes home. Yeah, I mean, there was nothing for us, you know. Today's kids, Gary Sinise Foundation, the Snowball Operation Snowball, where they take the kids to, and this is great. I am so happy for these kids. They have a community that they are together, that they can process this, their loss, in their own way. But they are together, and they they know each other. We didn't know anybody when we were growing up. There was there was there was no support system. There was no support system for our mothers. You know. Did your mom talk about that? No, and I've never really asked her about it either, Right, but I should. But she didn't go to college. She was 20 years old, pregnant, you know, with a new baby. And and three months later, after my dad was killed, you you just, you know, the Army's like, well, here, here you go. That's it. You know, we're we're done. We've separated. That's the way it is. There was no support. And if it wouldn't have been for the VA guy in Macomb, Illinois. Volunteering that information. Yeah, he's like, well, you can... You can back, I can backdate it one semester. Thanks a lot. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Just things like that. There, there was no support system for us kids. There was no support system for our mothers. Have you ever talked to your mom about the burden that she bore then? No. The fact that she's a new mom and and she's just lost her husband and no, I haven't. And she just, fam- just because she she we lived with my grandma and grandpa, um, and I just. Don't go there. I just don't go there. I, I just don't see any reason for it to dredge it up. I, yeah. I Not that I don't want to know, but she's already lived through it once. But I bet she knows and endorses your desire to know a lot more about your dad and all the things you've learned yes. over the years. Yeah, she's very happy for me. She's she's really glad that I found these other sons and daughters. You know, just to be able to talk to somebody about it and, and to share the experience. 
Don't you think your dad was be must be proud of you too? I hope so. I mean, I, you know, the, the saying is, you know, you can they'll always be remembered if you say their names. invited Dave to pay another visit to the Vietnam Memorial Wall with us as a guardian on Honor Flight Chicago Flight Number 111. He was paired up with Richard Jensen, a Vietnam vet just a tad older than Dave's dad would have been had he come home from Vietnam. Rich Jensen was part of an Army chemical decontamination unit, which meant for most of his year-long tour, he was working with Agent Orange. We sprayed it around the perimeters of the Fort Division, some other places, loaded them on choppers. We did a lot of it. Did you have any protection? Nothing. Any masks? Any garb? They told us nothing. When you were done spraying, did they hose you down at all? Nope. You may have wore them clothes for two or three days. Nobody said anything about how dangerous it was. Well, you know now how dangerous it was. Oh, yeah. Do you have any ill effects from it? Oh, I've had, uh, uh, they've removed my prostate, and I still have an ongoing cancer. So you had prostate cancer. Yeah. We'll have more on Rich Jensen's story and other voices of Flight 111 in our next podcast. But on this day, it's Dave Mann's job to help his vet enjoy the honor and thanks he richly deserves. I just want to see these gentlemen, you know, if they had buddies there, find their names so they can pay their tributes to them, pay their respects. My expectations, I'm just gonna be open-minded about it and you know, whatever they're feeling, let them just run with that and stay out of their way and let them enjoy the day. Gonna take a little time for yourself though when you go to the wall? Yeah, I'm going to uh, take a moment and uh, I brought something to, to leave at the wall for my dad and uh, find my dad's name and I always run my hand across his name and. Uh, I'll take a moment to reflect and say hello, and and uh, you know, then we'll get back to the the reason we're there today is for these guys and and for them to CDC and and all the monuments and and uh, you know just just for them to have a great day. The latter portion of this day's visit to D.C brings us to the Vietnam Memorial Wall. Rich has not been to the wall before. Dave has, a number of times. And each visit for Dave includes a ritual. Leave pictures of his father at the base of the wall and then reach high to touch his name. Every time, it brings tears. Every time, the first time, it's, you know, I'll I'll be here for a week at a time and come down here, but it's the first time every time gets me. I don't know why. It's the place where I feel the closest to him and to see his see his name up there and you know and the guys he died with just overwhelms me I guess I, I guess it all comes rushing in that you don't know what you missed out on and you brought with you pictures including his high school graduation yep. picture and pictures when he was in the military yeah I always uh, always leave something here in my mind to make sure he knows I was here that he's he's not forgotten and that he's remembered and loved These trips often include emotional swings from somber contemplation 
tears that come with a loud Days and Homecoming celebration at Midway Airport. This is fantastic. Dave walks nearby as Rich sucks it all in. Dave may forever wonder what if things had been different on a day in May 54 years ago. Reality says otherwise. But it can't stop Dave from keeping alive the father he never met. I go to the wall, you know, I've, somebody will notice on Facebook that I'm going to the wall and I'll have a wall brother and said, hey, can you stop by and say hi to my dad? You know, gladly, every time take a picture I'll send it to you you know we just don't want our fathers forgotten that's the biggest thing you're a good man Dave man uh, thank you're you good man thank you thanks for sharing this you're welcome thanks for sharing hopefully people who may be in the same boat as you once were can learn something from it yeah. I hope so I mean it's it's been a long journey but it's been worth it. I'd like to offer my heartfelt thanks to Julie Packard, a listener of our podcast, who first suggested doing a piece that included letters from Vietnam. Julie went digging and found Dave Mann, very much like Dave has been digging, to learn more about his dad and others who lost their fathers in war. Thanks, Julie. We would encourage you to share this podcast. The impact Honor Flight Chicago has on the lives of our veterans and their families is made possible by the generosity of our donors. To support our mission to find our veteran application, to volunteer, or simply for more information, please visit us at honorflightchicago.org.